0: The choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone gone into Bathsheba. "'Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight.' so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment behold i was brought forth in my iniquity, in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me behold you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart purge me with hyssop and i shall be clean wash me and i shall be whiter than snow let me hear joy and gladness let the bones that you have broken rejoice Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the Word of God.
1: Well, good morning. Just to in the other room, hurt my hand, um, fell off my bike yesterday. It's pretty sore, my hip's sore anyway. Could have been a lot worse. I'll just point you to my cast today, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, good to have you here. My name's Gav, um, we're in a four-week series titled uh, A Reason to Sing. looking at the character of God in Psalm 51. I'd encourage you to grab a Bible. If you have a Bible near you on your phone, there's like eight of them at the back. Oh, I really would like if you could follow along with me in the passage. It will help you to engage your mind and what God's going to say to you today. So eight, there's eight Bibles at the back. Or get your phone out. Follow along and let's hear what God's going to say to us. Let's talk to God before we begin and ask that He would speak to us and we would listen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we want to thank You so much for uh, Your kindness and Your goodness to us. Thank You that Your Word is true. And we want to believe that today. We want to ask that uh, what we hear from You today in Psalm 51, uh, as we hear of David reflecting on his brokenness and Your mercy that we would believe these truths deep in our souls. Lord, we're going to pray that whatever we hear today, whether it's things that we are comfortable with or uncomfortable, that you would, you would help us to think on them and see that it's from a God who loves us deeply. Lord, we read of in Psalm 51 uh, of who you are, that you are a merciful, loving God. We want to pray, Lord, that this truth will not be something that stays just abstract and objective to us. It would go deep. And we would see that you love each of us wholly and fully as we are. And we can come to you as a merciful God, pleading for more of your love and grace. So, Lord, bless our gathering, our time today. That we would hear you speak deeply into our soul. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I wonder if you've uh, you've done something in your life that you've regretted or you've been ashamed of. Uh, I remember back at high school... Uh, when I was in year seven, uh, you get a bunch of year seven boys together at lunchtime and they're full of testosterone and they want to kick a football around or whatever they want to do. But what happens is no football or no ball game to play. What happens is they turn on each other and start wrestling. That's what happens. And so uh, I remember this one lunchtime, there was no ball to play with and all, all that that happened was guys started wrestling each other. And there was one guy who was lean but really strong and wiry and everyone knew that he was one of the strongest guys. So you took him down, you become the new alpha male, right? So it's that whole pecking order. And so I remember seeing this guy, and I think I'm going to try and take him down today. There's no football to kick around. I'll just wrestle him. And I remember um, thinking that, and I thought, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I am grabbing him from behind and wrestling him for a bit. And then I sort of I was a big kid back then, and I uh, I fell forward on him, and he fell to the ground, and I fell on his back as he hit the ground. And I remember thinking, I've done it, I've beaten him, I've taken him down. But then after I got off him, he stayed down. He, he didn't get back up again. And, um, and he seemed like he was in a lot of pain at that moment. Now, in this moment, I had a choice to make. Uh, I could bend down and see if he was okay and ask if he was alright, if he was hurt and look after him. Or I could run fearing I'd get in trouble. I ran. I uh, ran and ran, and I ran and hid in the best place I could find, and that was the library. Uh, no one ever went to the library in my school, so <laughs> you ran and hid in the library. And I remember fleeing to the library until, um, until lunch was over, and I was full of fear and guilt and shame. What will happen to me if I get in trouble, if he's really hurt? I caused this, and I just legged it. And I remember going to the class after lunchtime and just hoping that no one asked me any questions, and if no one saw it, and thankfully no one did see it, and so I thought, great, I'll get home new day tomorrow, no one will remember, it'll be fine. Next day comes, I walk into school and the guy that I hurt isn't at school, he's not there. I think, great, another day he's not here. Uh, People will forget it, yeah, people move on really quickly, no one will remember what happened, it'll all be fine. A few days pass and eventually he comes to school and he walks in with one of these on his hand and uh, what happened was he broke his thumb, well actually I broke his thumb, and uh, he walked, and I knew immediately that I had, uh, caused, uh, I had caused him to break his thumb. And again, in that moment, I had a decision to make. I could walk up to him and say, Hey, man, I'm, look, I'm really sorry. How is your thumb? I'm sorry that I landed on you and broke it, and I apologize for the accident, or say sorry and say sorry. Or I could deny it was my fault, make excuses, justify, and hope that it would go away. And again, embarrassingly, I did the latter. And fear, out of fear of getting in trouble, out of fear of looking silly, and out of fear of guilt and shame... to cover up what I had done and that was what I was like uh, as a teenage boy and I'm sure there are moments in all of our lives where we have deeply regretted an action or said or done something that we regret or we wish we didn't where we have sinned and deeply affected ourselves and others and because of that sin we were filled with guilt and shame and fear and in those moments of mistakes that we make and sins that we commit we have choices to make. Do we deny it? Do we, do we justify it? Uh, do we try and cover it up or, or even atone for what you've done? Or do we fess up and deal front on with our mistakes and come to the one who can offer help? I think all of us in some ways, in some parts of our lives, often feel guilt, don't we? There's a funny story of uh, the writer of, um, of the Sherlock Holmes series, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He was having a bit of practical joke on his friends and he sent them each a telegram and it said just simply this, flee at once, all is discovered, the 12 of his mates. Within 24 hours, all 12 of his mates had fled the country, had left. A lot of us feel guilt and shame, fear of being exposed to past actions and often we want to run. Maybe there are some of us here today who, uh, who wonder how can we recover from who I am, or, or what, what my actions, have, what I've done in the past, or how can I erase the guilt that I feel, and how can I find the courage to deal with the consequences? And has even, maybe God has written me off, maybe I'm sort of some sub-Christian or sub-follower of Jesus because of my life, of, of my background, or of, of what has happened to me, or what I have done. Well, today Psalm 51, I think, is a gift of God reminding us and showing us that His character is greater than our shortcomings. That His mercy is greater than our shortcomings. And God shows us a better way, a path to freedom from guilt and from shame. And it comes with turning to the One who can, is the only One who can bring us mercy, and that's our merciful God. And Psalm 51 will show us who He is, will then also show us how we are to deal with our sin and our shame. That's by repenting. And it almost gives us a model of how to repent and do that well in a way that honors God. And we will see to this psalm that God is merciful, and we want to say, and I want to say, that is a reason to sing. It's a reason to sing and to praise God, because our God is merciful. And I, I want to show you today why. So we're going to walk through Psalm 51. It's why it's worth having your Bible in front of you to know where I'm going to go, because it's not, it's not a linear thing. We're going to jump around a little bit. But to navigate this, I think there are sort of three sort of helpful ideas we can look at, and that is confessing, and that is pleading, and that is praising. Confessing, pleading, and praising. We'll see David walk through this as a model of how to deal with sin and how to repent. So far in this series, we've been seeing God's character, and then how to relate to Him in light of His character. And the Psalms are really a book given to us by God to know how to think and to feel about life, about God and about ourselves. And Psalm 51 really, I think, is a given to us to know, help us to know how to think and feel about the horrors of our, of our sin and of our failures. But a bit of background, as Rob sort of filled us in before, this is written by a guy called David. He wrote the majority of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. And this is the famous, um, David was probably the most famous of, of, of Israel's kings, probably the greatest human king Israel ever had, really, and, uh, and uh, this is really in light of a huge failure, a huge moral failure. His sin, really, and his reflections on that and what he needed to do in light of it. David, uh, as king, used his power to take another man's wife and have sex with her. He saw her and took her. Bathsheba was her name. He gets her pregnant and then out of fear and trying to cover up that sin and try to sweep it under the carpet... He has, to make, he has to commit sin after sin after sin. So she gets pregnant. That surprises him. So he then needs now to figure out how to get the husband home. He's on the battlefield fighting for David and for Israel and try and get the husband to sleep with Bathsheba. He refuses to because he's honorable. So David decides then to kill the husband. Sends to the front line, tells the, tells the commander to pull back from the, from the fighting and let Uriah, who's the husband, go, up, uh, go out and get killed. Try and cover up all of David's sin and you see in this this horrible story it is sin upon sin upon sin with absolutely disastrous consequences and it shows the huge danger when we try and cover up our sin and our failures it causes destruction and you can read this in 1 samuel 11 and 12 and really you read in 1 samuel 12 and on it's really a flow on of the consequences of David's sin it's a bad it's a, it's a huge downward spiral for David and the kingdom of Israel all because of David's sin flowing on from 1 Samuel 12 and it's horrible of David trying to confront and hide his sin what happens then is a year later a whole year later there is a prophet called Nathan a prophet is God's mouthpiece and God comes to Nathan and says confront David David has done this and a year later Nathan comes to David and says you've sinned and and done horribly what is in God's sight And eventually, David repents and is confronted by his own sin. And then he writes Psalm 51. And that's what we are looking at this morning. It's a psalm of a broken man who is pleading to God for mercy. And this is really a a model of repentance of how to deal with our brokenness and our failures and what is pleasing to God. And we're going to see repentance really is not, as Rob just said, it's not just a turning away or feeling sorry for your sin, but it's actually a change of thinking, it's a change of mind, a change of heart, a total 180 of how we have dealt with our sin in the past, and we see that God is gracious. So we're going to look at this, and we've got Psalm 51, and we're going to see the first first thing we see from David is confessing. Have a look at the first six uh, sentences with me, it says this. Read along. Have mercy on me, O God, this is David speaking to God, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in my secret places." So as I said, David has been running and hiding from his sin, trying to cover up for a whole year. And now, once confronted by God and by Prophet Nathan, he comes clean. He comes clean here, and he owns up to what he has done. He confesses to God, and he turns to God alone. And you notice here, when he, what I just read there, he doesn't try and sugarcoat what he's done. He doesn't play it down and say, God, I slipped up. Oh, God, I made a mistake. In sentence four, you read there, he says, I have done what is evil in your sight. He names sin for what it is. He calls it evil. And I think here we see repentance is when we say to God, without sugarcoating it, God, I have done what is evil in your sight. And evil is a humiliating word to use for yourself, isn't it? We'd rather say, I made a mistake. Oh, I slipped up. I've had a bad day. But here we see what sin is, and it's evil. That's what God says about it. And David confesses the seriousness of his sin in a few ways here. We read in sentence 3 that he can't get the sin out of his mind. He says, my sin is ever before me, my transgressions of the sin are ever before me. It's like this tape player that goes over in his head, over and over and over again. He can't do anything to change it and he's played by it. He can't get free. And then we read it quite shockingly in sentence 4. He says that his sin was against God and God only. But what about Bathsheba? What about Uriah, the husband that's been murdered, and and their families? How can David say that? Surely they were harmed in this. I think here, this shows firstly and ultimately what sin is first. It doesn't mean that Bathsheba and Uriah weren't hurt. It means what makes sin, sin is firstly against God. Yeah, hurting someone is bad. It is horribly bad. It is evil. But that's not what the ultimate horror of sin is an attack on God and His glory. And the relationship we were made for. And David gets that and he confesses that in sentence four. And he gets what he has done is evil and wrong. And there is no self justification. He's not trying to underplay it anymore. And again, he says in sentence four uh, uh, no more justifying. He says, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David is saying, God, you are justified. You are right. And and you, God, if you cast me into hell for my sin, you would still be innocent. And David is naming what his sin really is. And this is radical God-centered repentance. He's owning, confessing his failures, and he's falling at the feet of a holy God. He's He's not hiding, he's not running, he is confessing. He's not making excuses or blaming anyone. He even owns who he is at the core in sentence 5. Look at it there. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He knows that his tendency in his heart is towards sin and evil. And that's not excusing himself. He's saying, that's who I am, God. That's who I am. And he's owning it. sentence 6, he says that his sin was not simply breaking external law or rules, but rebelling against a merciful God. And David knew... That God had been his teacher, the one who loved him for, for many years. But his sin got the upper hand and David rebelled. And now he's confessing in all honesty what he has done. And he's throwing himself at the feet of his holy God. You know, I often mentioned before um, that... Sometimes when, uh, I'm sure we all do this, or when life gets hard or things get overwhelming or, you know, when for me, when I get a bit, a bit overwhelmed with being a pastor, I think of, I fantasize about other jobs I'd love to do. My go-to jobs. Often on Monday morning I do this. Um, <laughs> call it Monday morning-itis. Anyway, uh, top of my list, postman. Love to be a postman, right? Love to be a postman. Just walking around, saying hi to hide everyone, giving the mail out to people, to some music, getting exercise, just being your friendly neighborhood postie. What a job, right? stress-free. A um, few other ones on my list, seal trainer, that's up there for me, <laughs> right? Playing with seals in the water, what a great day, what a job. Here's another one, I've mentioned this before, I just thought it was one recently, it's a new one for me. A team mascot, a team mascot. Look, stick with me for a second, stick with me because it's a really good one. You know the one where you wear a big costume and no one can see who you are? What a job, right? You can wear like, you can, you can get in this costume, no one says who you are and it'd be great because you could be the biggest idiot, you could muck around, do flips, have a great time, lose yourself, whatever, and no one knows it's you. No, no one sees it's you. You could go out on the field with your favorite sporting players, a great view of the game, celebrate when they score tries, hang out with them, and no one knows it's you at all. I think, what a job. That is my, that is my new go-to job. Uh, I love that. And I think it'd be great because, because no one can see that it's you, you're the one behind the mask. It's great. Now, I'm not sure that appeals to you or not, appeals to me, uh, but I think in some way, a lot of us like that idea of not letting people know what we really like. We often, we often like to hide behind a mask, whatever that is for us, put on our best face, show that we have things under control on the outside, but inwardly, we are freaking out. We don't want to be exposed to what we are, who we really are, I think sometimes we try and do that with others. But we can't do that when it comes to God, because He knows what we're like. He knows our hearts, our thoughts, our intentions. And part of having a relationship with Him, we see here in Psalm 51, is about being real with Him. Owning up who we are, what we are like, and confessing sin, and repenting and falling at His feet. And I think the, we see here in Psalm 51, the first step in repentance, and dealing with our sin, is owning who you are confessing to a God what you have done. And the amazing thing is, because of God and who He is in His character, we can can come to Him because He is merciful, knowing we we can do it without fear or worry or, or fear of rejection. Because He is the merciful one. And this is what God wants from us, is to come to Him as we are broken and needy children. That's what we learned from Psalm 51. Come to Him and confess. You know, if you think about Jesus for a second, when he was God in the flesh, he was on earth. Who were the people that he engaged with, that he loved, that he had time for, he spent, spent hours with, had meals with? Wasn't it those who admitted they needed help? Wasn't it those who confessed their brokenness and repented? Wasn't it the needy, the guilty, the broken, the marginalized, the outcast? Those who had feared they'd sinned so bad that God could never love them. Those that couldn't even come near to the temple, or to the holy, or to, the, to the Israel's elite. Then they met Jesus. And Jesus had time for them and loved them and showed mercy on them. And Jesus had no time for the religious who pretended to have everything sorted on the outside. And don't you think this is what the church needs more of and the world needs more of? People who are, who, are, who are open with their brokenness. People who are willing to say, I'm broken, I stuff up, I fail, I fall, but it's okay because I have a great Savior. And there is freedom in His name, freedom from our sin and our guilt and our shame. I think that's what the church needs more of and I think that's what the world needs more of. We look around our world and, and we are surrounded by people who, who post photos on all social media platforms pretending how great life is. I've got it sorted. And if you don't, maybe something's wrong with you. Life is easy. How refreshing is it and would it be to hear someone honestly say they are a work in progress? The life is hard. But they've stuffed up. And I think really, we're all like this whether we admit it or not. And the great news is of the gospel of Jesus Christ is we can freely admit to ourselves and to those around us that we are a work in progress because we have a great Saviour who forgives and who is working in us to make us more like Himself. In fact, the cross of Jesus Christ calls us to admit our failures and calls us to be real with our brokenness. I think we grow cold to Jesus when we go cold to our need for, the, for, for Him. We are cold to the seriousness of sin in our lives. I think it's so freeing, one of the greatest things of Jesus is that it's so freeing to come to Him as you are, knowing that our lives are not built upon what we do, what we say, our mistakes, but if, in fact built upon who He is and His perfect record. We know when we come to Him, the feeling of guilt and shame is taken away and dealt with once and for all through His death and resurrection. So we can and should confess. And this is what God teaches us here through David because we can confess because our God is merciful. And because God is merciful, David runs to Him and pleads for forgiveness and for renewal. This is my second point, pleading. Have a look at 7 to 11 with me. It says this. David, asking God, purge you with hyssop, he says, and I shall be clean. Wash me, God, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take Not your Holy Spirit from me. David knows God's character and now he runs to him and says, God, I need you. I need your forgiveness and I need your renewal. And it's how he kicks off the psalm acts. Let me just jump back to sentences one and two for you again. Have a look at this. Where he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly, and cleanse me from my sin. David starts the psalm by just begging with God. And the phrase, have mercy on me in the first line can be translated as show you, show me grace, God. Show me your grace. And here we start it by David appealing to three things about God that God is gracious, God is loving, and he is abundant in mercy. That's how God, uh, David knows of God. And he's coming to him in light of his character and saying, God, I need you, I need this from you. And his mercy is abundant, it's not stingy or not conditional or not just for the elite, or not a, uh, a one-time only, but a once and for all. And God has massive compassion for the unworthy and the lost, and David knows that God is famous for His grace, and famous for His compassion and His mercy. So he runs to Him. And I think we see here, we often want to ignore our sin, but God wants to deal with it, and He wants to blot it out, and He can deal with it. David begs in sentence two to wash him clean, to cleanse him from his sin. Sentence seven, he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Now, hyssop was a branch that was used by the priest to get a sacrifice, animal's blood, and to paint it on a a house, most likely to clean out and to uh, get disease out of it and declare it clean. And David is crying to God as his ultimate priest and saying, God, cleanse me. Only you can clean me of this filth, of this sin, and you can can make me right. He asked for his sins to be blotted out and erased. He feels filthy, he feels dirty, and he wants God to wash him, and he says, if you do, I will be whiter than snow. It's a strong promise here. David says, God, I know if you say you will, you will do it, and if you say you'll clean me, it will be so. It will happen. I'll be whiter than snow. And David isn't trying to make a deal with God. He's not saying, God, have mercy on me because I've been faithful. Have mercy on me, God, because I've been a good king. Have mercy on me, God, because I come to church on a Sunday. Have mercy on me, God, because I lead worship at church. David here is not this convicted criminal trying to offer character reference to God to get leniency of a judge. He's saying to God, the only thing I appeal to, my only hope, is your abundant mercy, your unfailing love. It's his only hope. But forgiveness alone is not enough for David. He wants more. He confesses his sin. Then he says, I want more, though. And he pleads for God to renew him. He pleads for renewal. I'm sure you remember the show on TV called The Biggest Loser. Remember that show? Hit the next slide for me. There they are. Look, all the trainers there. I, remember, I remember their names? Come on. Look, it was Commando. Commando. Look, I love that Chris knows it. Tiff, Michelle, and the guy, Blue Shirt, Shannon. There you go. Uh, these are the trainers. I actually saw them in Balmain. My, my gift for d celebrities. I came through and I saw these guys hanging out in Balmain a little while ago. Um, but um, I like this show because I, you know, I had a bit of a background of past lives of being a, a trainer, and I love health and fitness. And um, I like to see the, the, the motivation or the transformation that went into the contestants who came off into the show quite broken and uh, quite unhealthy, and it helped them to lose a massive amount of weight and get fitter and stronger. And, but what I loved was seeing... Um, how they changed over time but also changed once they left the show and what they did when the show was finished and how they went at continuing on and really that came about through their internal motivation. And, it's, and I think in, in the show you would often see this, this huge um, change happen inside of them with how they thought of themselves, how they interacted with the world, how they thought about fitness and food they ate, and I thought it was a really interesting journey to see. And those who succeeded were the ones who had a deeper change and in internal motivations, almost renewal about themselves and about how they interacted with the world around them. But they to, to really continue on in the path of being healthy, they needed a whole renewal to take place within them. It wasn't just about lifting some weights or whatever it was. It was a change of thinking, a change of heart that led them to a healthier lifestyle. Here we read with David that he wants total renewal. He doesn't want God just to fix the outside up at all, but he wants God to do a deep renewal on the inside, a heart renewal. David wants more than forgiveness, he says. He wants not just a pardon, but he wants purity. He wants the wisdom that was missing when he called to to his palace and said, go and bring Bathsheba. He wants the truth that was missing when he sent Uriah off, with his own death warrant in his hand to be killed. David doesn't want want to be just forgiven. He wants to be a faithful man going forward. He knows that at birth he was sinful, so he wants God to recreate him. A new creation, almost. That's what repentance is. It's a whole change of thinking, a change of, of heart. He pleads in sentence 10, create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. And the word create here in the Hebrew is the same word that God uses in Genesis 1 to create the world. This idea of creation again, God creating. And David isn't just about, God, help me to try a little harder, or make me a little bit better. David wants a new heart. He doesn't want a spiritual heart bypass, he wants a whole heart transplant. And a new spirit that will say no to the world and yes to God and delight in that. And he wants a heart that is broken and contrite, he says. Have a look at the 16 and 17 as well. It says this, For you, God, will not delight in sacrifice, or I'd give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, the true sacrifices of God, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, and you will not despise. He knows that God is not just about the outward, what it looks like, what you do for God. Sacrifices you burnt. He knows that God is not after just outward, dutiful obedience. God is not impressed with show. His heart is drawn to need, to those who show the truth that we all need Him. And the Bible says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, to those who are crushed in spirit, God delights in repentant, needy sinners, which we are all. That's who we are. And this is a mark, I think, of a child of God, one who sees their need for God and their fees mercy every day, having a broken and contrite heart, which is dependence on God, knowing that we need Him and humbling ourselves before Him. And I would, I would encourage you to not make the mistake that you have got past this in your Christian faith that you've somehow transcended this moment of repentance, of coming to God and saying, God, I need you again today. We never get past this. We are broken and contrite all the way home to glory, unless sin gets the proud upper hand. One of the great preachers of the 1700s, Jonathan Edwards, said this about about this idea. All gracious gracious affections feelings and emotions, that are a sweet aroma to Christ and that fill the soul of the Christian with a heavenly sweetness and fragrance are broken-hearted affections. A truly Christian love, either for God or for the people, is a humble, broken-hearted love. A Christian joy, even when unspeakably glorious, is a humble, broken-hearted joy and it leaves the Christian more like a child and more inclined to an all-encompassing lowliness of behavior. That's, that's the trajectory of the Christian life. David knows this, this is what he's just asking God for: a broken, contrite heart. He knows that God is full of mercy, that he can confess his sin of no, with no fear or shame of being rejected, because God is merciful, then he pleads for forgiveness and renewal, which then leads him on then to praise. Have a look at this sentence 12 and 15. He says this. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold with me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressions your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, guiltlessness, O oh God, O oh God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. We read here the results of his uh, being forgiven and renewal will lead David to praise, to honor God, to sing his glory. And David said, I'll then go and teach others about you, God. I'll teach others about how good you are and how good it is to be known by you. I'll teach others about the freedom that is found in being forgiven once and for all. To invite others to enjoy the freedom of being free from guilt and shame and sin. And again, here as I said last week, I think the fuel for, for making this happen, for being on mission, for telling others about Jesus, is about you and your enjoyment in God and His mercies. I think when it comes to sharing our, our, our faith with us, which can be quite confronting for many of us, I think the fuel is, how satisfied are we in the cross of Jesus Christ? And the friend that we experience, so that we will say to others, how good is this? You need to know about this. You need to see your need for Jesus and how there is forgiveness from sin in Him alone and freed from guilty conscience. Blown away by this, David invites others to join him in in praising God and tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. I think here in this Psalm 51 we learn so many things about our sin, about repentance, about the character of God, about mercy. We learn here that sin is evil and our sin is firstly against a loving and good God and it's an offence to Him. And as followers of Him in a relationship with Him, we are called to repent continuously because we are in a relationship. confess our sin, to ask for his help, to ask him to renew us, and knowing that we are forgiven once and for all in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we can confess because he is merciful, and then we are freed from our sin, from our shame, from our past, because Jesus has dealt with it once and for all. But we need to live in ongoing repentance. One of my favorite preachers, Ray Ortland, puts it this way, he says this about repentance. He says, if you see yourself as above repentance, then you know nothing of the gospel. Because your Christianity is your own self-invented religious flattery. It is not making you a better person, but a worse person. The true gospel does not create superior people. The gospel creates, creates people who trust Jesus enough to face themselves honestly and own up. That's what the gospel teaches us. And Psalm 51 teaches us how to repent. I think we also learn that God can and save and use anyone. And no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no one is beyond the reach or the arm of God's grace and kindness and compassion and mercy. David was an adulterer, he was a murderer. And because of God's character, not what if he, who he is, what he had done, God forgives David. I don't know. I often feel like this, and most people I speak to feel the same way, that we often can feel like that, that God cannot use us, that God can't love us, that often I think a lot of us have this thing of deep down that we are not good enough, or, or you don't know what I've done, and I, I have nothing to offer you, God. But Psalm 51 is here to say that, in, that if you are broken, if you are in need, you are the very one God can use, and He will use. You're the David God can use. In fact, you're the only one that God wants to use. God is not after for people coming and saying, what I got for you, God. If you, if you feel your sins and you bring them to Jesus in your brokenness, God will use you powerfully. Because you understand what everyone on the face of the earth needs to understand, that there is one Savior who is on high, who rules, who reigns, who loves us so much, and receives sinners, forgives them, and then gives them their life back. And he stands up again and says, let's do this together. That's the message of Jesus. If that's how you feel, God is pleased with you. We have a God who is full of mercy. That is who He is. That's a reason to sing. So let's be people who run to Him in repentance and confessing and pleading forgiveness and renewal and then praising Him for who He is and let our world know who longs to, to hear this news that we have a God who is good and merciful. Let me pray for us to finish up. Father, we want to thank you so much for your character. That everything we do in life, how we live, how we respond to others, we want to, we want to be people who do it in light of who you are. We've heard uh, today from Psalm 51, you are, you are merciful. Lord, we want to pray that, tr- that truth would go deep in our lives, that we would not just say that or spread that from our mouth that you're merciful and then move on. But help us to think deeply on this truth and how then that truth of your character shapes how we live, how we engage with ourselves and our world around us. Lord, we are all broken and needy people in need of, in need of your grace and your love day by day. We want to see that we are in a relationship with you. That the gospel is not simply just a bunch of truths uh, that only are truths that stay objective and and out there, but they actually penetrate our heart. And we want to be people who who live in light of your love and your mercy and come to you and confess and find the freedom that is found in you. That we do not need to put on a show, we do not need to present us, we've got everything sorted out. That we are yet a work in progress and we are all a work in progress. But we have a great Savior. And we want, to, we want to rejoice in you now. So Lord, we want to pray now that as we leave here, as we sing praises to you, that we remember that we are loved by a merciful God. Lord, we want to pray and thank you so much for that. We pray the in Jesus' name. Amen.